John chapter 21, here's what the Word of God has to say. Beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And, and they, sa- they said to him, we will go with you. When they went out and got into the boat, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, "It is the Lord." When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So one of the things that we do know about the disciples is that most of them, many of them, prior to being called by Jesus to be his disciples, were by trade fishermen. After the d- dramatic events of the death and resurrection recorded in John chapter 20, we, we find these men, in, now in chapter 21, out on the water fishing again. They have returned to what they knew, to what they, to what they had done before they followed Jesus. It almost seems, when you read chapter 21, that they are returning to what they think is normal. So what do we do now? Well, normal for us is to be out on the water fishing. And so when, when, when Peter says, let's just get in the boat and go fishing, it's almost as if, now this is Ben Smith reading into the text, we don't have anything else to do, let's go, let's go fish. However, what they thought was going to be routine, normal for them, was interrupted by the miraculous. I do think this is a good word for our graduates today. None of us knows what tomorrow brings. But certainly when you end something major like high school and you start something major like college, there is a whole lot of unknown. You will be making in these next few years decisions that will set the course for the rest of your life. Some of them will bless you. Some of them may not. You are going to answer the question, whether you want to or not, what will you give your life to? Everyone gives their life to something. Many give their lives to worthless things. 
But the gospel calls us to give our lives to eternal things. And you will answer that question in the next few years. And as you answer that question, the, 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 the secondary question to that is, by what power will you act and for whose purpose will you act? I think in chapter 21, the real question behind the disciples and what they're asking is and what they're struggling with is, is what do we do now and how do we do it? I don't think they're being disobedient. I just don't think they know what to do in the beginning part of chapter 21. And I think Jesus still had some lessons to teach. He wanted to teach these fishermen how to fish, but not fish for the fish of the sea, but how to fish for men and their hearts. So out of this passage, I want us to see these three things. Number one, you and I and the church in general, we are powerless without Jesus. Now, I know that sounds awful simple, and it may even be so simple that you would think, well, pastor, that doesn't need to be said. But I think one of the great temptations, especially those our American culture supports this, is we'll do it in our own power. I'll do it my way is the theme of our culture, and, and, and separated from the, the power of Jesus. But we are powerless without Jesus. Secondly, kingdom effectiveness. So if we are to be about the purpose of Jesus and we're to be effective for what Jesus has called us to do, we must do that in the context and in, the, in concert with obedience. You will not and you cannot be effective for Jesus if you will not be obedient to the commands of Jesus. And then lastly, a hopeful word, I hope, and that is whatever Jesus calls you to. And however Jesus calls you to be about what he's called you to, he will provide for you in every detail of obedience. But let's begin with powerless without Jesus. Now, I want you to see something here, and that is, is that effort does not equal fruitfulness. Effort does not equal fruitfulness. Now, I'm going to make the case that without Jesus, we are powerless. We see the disciples, they don't really know what else to do, and so they go to fish. Now, these are not novices. These are not men who don't know what they're doing. They are skilled, they are familiar, they are comfortable on the water. They know how to fish and catch fish. They were making a living doing this before Jesus called them to, to follow him. And so they go back out on the water doing what they knew. But you notice scripture says when Jesus, they've been out all night. And when Jesus calls to them from the shore, boys, what have you caught? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's not like the catch just hasn't been good. They've caught absolutely nothing. They have nothing to show for their night's work. Now, their, their, their failure to catch fish was not due to the lack of knowledge or effort. They were skilled fishermen. They were working hard. In fact, verse 7 says that when, when Peter jumps in the water, he had to put his clothes back on because he was stripped for work. What, it, what that means is he had been laboring, so he's hot, and, and, and so he had stripped his clothes down to be cool. They weren't just having a nice evening tour on the lake. They were working all night, and they had nothing to show for their labor. Friends, listen to me carefully here. Just knowing what to do and working hard at it is not enough for kingdom work. I want to say that again because I want you to hear that very carefully. Just knowing what to do and working hard at it is not enough for kingdom work. 
I think the American church often struggles with this. We, we know what to do. We, we, can, we can create effective studies and insightful statistics, and we can do trainings. Oh, Southern Baptists can do trainings, amen? I mean, we've got, we've got a publishing arm that'll back up a semi-truck full of Bible studies and, and trainings that we can go through to train us for the work of the kingdom. And by the way, I think as just culturally speaking, we are hard-working people. Often the American church wants to be busy so that we feel like we're working hard. We value hard work. We want to be seen doing something. And so I identify very much with the beginning part of verse 21. We can't just sit around. We can't just not do something. Let's be busy. At least in our busyness, we'll feel like we're being effective for the kingdom of God. But dear friends, effort alone is not enough for kingdom endeavors. You see, effort is about your power and your ability. The kingdom of God is advanced only by the power of God. Did you hear me? The kingdom of God is advanced only by the power of God. Trying hard and giving great effort has its place, but if you attempt to serve the Lord only with your strength and in your effort, you will discover that effort alone will not produce fruitfulness. It is not by mistake that these men have labored all night for nothing. I think by the sovereignty of God, God commanded every fish to avoid their net. Jesus was teaching a lesson here. Not only is our, is our, um, is our effort uh, doesn't produce fruitfulness, but, but neither does methodology um, equate or guarantee success. So methodology is how you do something, the system, the method by which you put in place. I, over the course of my ministry, I have sat in a countless meeting rooms where we have we put up on the whiteboard or we put out on a piece of paper all the, the strategies and the, the methods by which we're going to accomplish some goal. Now, that's, that has its place and it has its purpose, um, but, but a close cousin to effort is methodology. So we're going to try hard and we're going to plan well. We're, we're going we're to lay out a system by which we're going to make this, make this happen. But dear friends, there is no formula that can bring success. I remember it was several years ago, but I was at a, I was at a conference, and you, you sort of learn how conference speakers speak. And one of, the, one, of the way, one of the things that's just sort of familiar in a conference speaker, for, for preachers anyway, is that you go to these conferences and somebody stands up on stage who has had a very successful ministry. And they tell you all about their successful ministry, and then they present their plan to you of how they have produced great success and great growth in their ministry. And, and then there's sort of a, there's, there, there's a sales pitch to that. You get this plan. You work this plan in your church, and you too can have the same success that I had in, in my church. I was sitting at, I was in a, in a room at a, at a conference, and, um, and someone was speaking who I had read and, 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 and found very helpful and he had, in his church, had experienced some pretty amazing success in transforming the church. And, and one of the other participants, it was a Q&A session, raised his hand and he said, I, I'm in a county seat First Baptist Church. And he said, I'm really struggling with moving the needle of my church. And, and how can I get my church to where your church is? And Frankly, I, I was sitting there not sort of half paying attention because what I expected the, the, the conference speaker to say is, well, friend, here's my program. Here's my methodology. And if you'll take this home to your church and tell them they're sorry people and they need to get right with Jesus, and if they just follow my plan, you too can have the same success that I had. 
So I was a little surprised when he, when he looked at the pastor. The conference speaker looked at the pastor and said, Brother, what you need to do is you need to go home and get in your pulpit and preach faithfully the Word of God for 10 years. And after 10 years, he said, you need to start preaching specifically on this issue. And after another 10 years, you probably ought to introduce it to your church and see how the Lord works. And I thought, that's not normal stuff there. What, this, what the conference pe- preacher was trying to communicate was a method work that worked for my church may or may not work for your church. But what has power is the word of God, not the methodology by which we teach it. You see, Jesus instructs the disciples to throw the net over to the other side of the boat. And I want you to hear something. That instruction has nothing to do with how you catch fish. Do you hear me? Which side of the boat you throw your net on has nothing to do with how you catch fish. It doesn't matter how they threw the net. It doesn't matter how they brought the net in or any other methodology. The success of their fishing was not dependent on their methodology, but on the one who has authority over the fish. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? It didn't matter how they threw the net. It only mattered for the one who had authority over the fish. Now, these men knew how to fish. But to have success in what Jesus was calling them to do, they had to learn to trust the commands of Jesus more than they trusted their own methodology. You see, friends, only Jesus empowers the work of the church. Only Jesus empowers the work of the church. Only the empowerment of Jesus gives effectiveness to the church. Only the empowerment of Jesus gives effectiveness to us as believers as we obey the commands of Christ. You know, the question has to be asked, what does it matter which side of the boat they cast their net on? And as I've already said, I don't think it mattered at all. What mattered was that they recognized the authority of Jesus and that they had to obey him. Friends, the effectiveness of the church and every Christian is not dependent upon your intelligence. Praise God for that. Amen? At least for me, praise God for that. It's not dependent on your ability. The, the, The effectiveness of our church is not dependent upon the pastor or the location or our surrounding culture or the people of the church. You know, these things are important. But the effectiveness of the church is being totally dependent on Jesus. In this situation, Jesus is the master. In our situation, Jesus is the master. There he had authority over the fish. And by his authority, they either avoided the net or swam into the net. And it is, it is true for us as well. We would do well to worry less about what we have or what we can do or can't do and worry more about what Jesus is calling us to and our own obedience to it. Only Jesus empowers the church's work. Now, we've talked about that we are powerless without Jesus, but secondly, I want us to see that our effectiveness requires obedience. Oh, this is important, dear friends. Effectiveness for the Lord requires obedience. You must obey every command of Jesus. Now, graduates, there's something going on in this room that nobody wants to admit And that is that we don't mind obeying the commands that we like. The question here is, will we obey the commands that we don't like? We don't mind obeying the commands that are easy for us, the ones that we were going to do already. 
But what about when God calls us to something that's uncomfortable? What about when God calls us to something that's going to cost us something? What about when God calls us to something that's going to require a sacrifice for us? Those are the ones where we get a little squirrely about obedience. But listen, dear me, friends, that the testimony of this passage is that if we're to be effective, if we're going to catch the hearts of men, we must obey every command of Jesus. Effectiveness for the kingdom requires obedience to Jesus' commands. The ones that seem important, the ones that seem insignificant. It was only after the disciples obeyed the commands of Jesus did they recognize who he is. Now, don't get the timeline right here. They've been fishing all night, skilled, effective, or, or skilled and able fishermen all night, caught nothing. Some stranger on the shore says, hey boys, you caught anything? I think they might have been tempted to lie. Well, not been the greatest fishing is what I would have said. But they say, nope, nothing. And then this person that they don't know who he is says, throw your nets on the other side. Now they were fishermen and surely knew that casting the net off the other side of the boat would make no difference. Now I I don't know what was going through their head. It's possible, we know that they did it. They may have done it out of desperation. So out of desperation would have been, what can it hurt, (laughs) right? I mean, we've, we've spent all night out here, caught nothing, Maybe there's something, too, over the other side of the boat. Desperation. It may have been out of frustration. You ever been doing something and somebody keeps making suggestions to you that you know are pointless, worthless suggestions, and you just get tired of it, and you finally say, fine, we'll do it that way just to prove them wrong? Maybe that's why they threw it over the other side. We don't know what was going through their head, but we know this. They did it. And when they did it, immediately they recognized that something supernatural was happening. In other words, this isn't normal. In normal days, thrown over the other side of the boat, maybe, maybe a few more fish, but spending all night long with nothing, and then all of a sudden you throw it on the other side of the boat and you can't even haul it up because it's too heavy. They recognize that something supernatural is happening. Friends, obedience is about faith. Do you believe Jesus has the authority? In this situation, do you believe that Jesus has authority over the fish of the sea? Do you believe Jesus has authority over everything in this world? Believing Jesus is sovereign over all things gives peace to obey his commandments. When God commands and we obey, that is our testimony that we believe he is able and sovereign over all things. Now, it's interesting to me that throughout the ministry of Jesus, he had often used moments that these fishermen would well remember because they were so connected, their livelihood, to the sea. When Jesus first called Peter, um, he told him to to put out his nets after Peter had, had fished another whole night without catching anything. And, and Peter, in fact, told Jesus, I've worked all night, caught nothing. But he did it. He went back out. He put out his nets. And when he obeyed, his nets were so full that he was afraid of sinking. That's in Luke chapter 5. Once when the disciples uh, and and Jesus were were caught in a bad storm on the sea, they feared for their lives. In fact, they woke Jesus up from asleep and said, Do you not care that we're about to drown? These were men who knew how to, to operate a boat, and yet they thought they were about to drown, which means they were probably about to drown. And Jesus stands up, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and the disciples are left on a glassy sea wondering, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And then my favorite in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was in Capernaum. 
and the, the collectors of the temple tax um, approached Peter and they said, why don't your master pay the temple tax? Peter was upset by that. He goes to Jesus and he asks the question, why don't you pay the temple tax? And Jesus uses that as an example to teach them that, listen, there's an issue of authority and sovereignty here. But, but then Jesus said, so that there's not an offense, I'm going to pay the temple tax. But the way he told Peter to do it is he said, go down to the water, throw a hook into the water, and pull out the first fish that you catch. And when you pull out that first fish, open up his mouth, and you'll find there enough money for mine and your temple tax. Now, Peter would have known that's not normal, but Peter would also have known this is testifying to the sovereignty of God. Again, Jesus gives instructions to these fishermen, not so they would be impressed with his knowledge of fishing. Jesus wants these men to believe that he is able to accomplish all things and obey him out of faith. Obedience is about believing that what God can do, and obedience is a testimony of faith. And to that, I would give a warning, and that is, do not allow know-how to cause you to be deaf to the leadership of Jesus. It is possible to allow your knowledge to cause you to ignore the commands of God. Now, now the disciples could have said in this moment, what does Jesus know about fishing? We know by trade Jesus was a carpenter. Other than spending a lot of time around fishermen, we don't have any testimony of him being an experienced fisherman. What does Jesus know about fishing? What does he know about which side of the boat the net should come off of? But We've said already the side of the boat had nothing to do with catching fish. Well, we know how to do, the, the, the disciples could have said, that's ridiculous. They could have even said to Jesus, we, we know how to do this. Friends, what you know is limited to what you can do. What the Lord can do is not limited to what you know or even the laws of creation. Did you hear me? What you, know, what you can do is limited to what you know. But there is no limit on Jesus. If he can command the winds and the waves, he can command the fish of the sea. Jesus wanted to teach the disciples about fishing for men, so he gave them a lesson about fishing for fish. Fishing for men will be accomplished only by the power of God. God will call men. God will draw men into the net. God will awaken them to the gospel. God will aliven them to the truth. Our know-how is based on our ability and strength, but God's power is not limited by our ability or our knowledge. God is doing more than we could ever imagine. Obedience to God's commands recognizes God is doing more than, than we could ever know or that we could ever imagine, and we simply trust that God knows more than we do. Amen? There's one other thing I want you to see. And that is that God provides for our needs. Now, when you read this passage, as with so many other places in Scripture, there are some very specific details that are not included just for interesting fact. They are included so that we might know something that's happening in this passage. So, so the Bible tells us a couple of things. So, that, so Peter jumps in the water. He swims to the, the shore. The rest of the disciples are about 100 yards out. So think a football field away. They're not able to bring the net up into the boat because it's too heavy. So they, they bring the boat to shore, and Jesus is already on the shore. He's already got a fish on the, on the barbecue. He's already got a charcoal fire. He's cooking breakfast with bread and fish. First of all, he doesn't need the fish that are in the, in the boat. But he says to them, hey, go get some of those fish and bring them over here. 
So they go back to the, they go back to the boat and they, they, they pull the net up. And the Bible tells us there are 153 large fish. Not 154, not 152. 153 fish. And then it tells us, and even though they were massive in number and large in size, the net did not break. Now, those details are not just random details for us to go, isn't that interesting? No, what God was teaching us in that moment was that every issue and every need connected to obedience, God will provide for. So a couple of things that God provides for. Number one, God provides for our physical needs. Notice that when they get to the shore, breakfast was ready, and it wasn't from the catch that they had just brought in. I think this detail is important that Jesus had prepared breakfast for them. Now, as a side note, and this is totally Ben Smith wondering here, um, I wonder where did Jesus get the fish? And I, I believe, now this is just me imagining here, the God who can tell the fish to avoid the net and the fish to swim into the net is also the same God who can stick his head in the water and said, come here, fishy, fishy. And I think that's exactly what he did. However he got the fish, he's already got fish on the, on the fire ready for these men. Though there was much to communicate to the disciples, Jesus did not forsake providing for their physical needs. Now, we tend to worry most about our physical needs. What are we going to eat? Some of you are already worried about lunch. I know you are. I see it in your eyeballs. You're hungry. You're ready for a sermon to be over, church to be over. Let's get to eating. Some of y'all are really eager beavers. Y'all are already thinking about what you're going to do for supper tonight. We, we worry about physical needs and where we're going to lay our heads down and, and all those sort of things. Throughout the testimony of Scripture, we see over and over again the testimony that God provides for our needs. And when God provides for our needs, that includes our physical needs. The God who's provided for our eternal need for salvation is capable and able to provide for every physical need. Listen, friends, I don't think it's a random detail. That Jesus knew these men who'd been working all night would be hungry in the morning. And he made breakfast for them. He made breakfast for them not just to, to meet their, their, their hungry stomach's need, but to demonstrate to them, I've got this. I can provide for every need. Not only to make breakfast, but to provide what your breakfast will be. God meets our physical needs. Jesus also provides for our obedience. Now this is important to me, and I hope you'll catch this. Though the net was far beyond capacity, it did not break. So scripture tells us 153 fish, large fish, and it tells us, and the net did not break. Jesus had not only provided the fish for the net, but the net for the fish. He provided resources to accompany the disciples' obedience. Now whether at work or at church, whatever organization you participate in, there are always those people who feel like it is their born duty, their responsibility to, um, to whenever a new idea comes up, it, they feel like it is their purpose in life to tell you why that new idea will not work. Now, I hope you're not that person, but I guarantee you know who that person is at work, at church, even in your own family. They're, they're always quick with reasons why the, the, the new thing should not be done or will not work. And, and though they can be frustrating, here is the, the truth that, that absolutely drives us crazy. 
They frustrate us, but sometimes they're right. In fact, a lot of times they're right. Uh, they're looking at all the reasons why it won't work, and you're sitting in the meeting going, oh, man, they're correct, but you don't want to admit it out loud. Friends, when we think about obeying Jesus, the truth of it is that the list for the reasons why it won't work will always be longer than the list why it will work. The practical nature of 153 large fish in a net, all the fishermen knew, should have broken the net. They should have brought nothing in. It's too much. And yet, the net holds. So friends, the question is no longer can it be done, but rather, can it, uh, but, but rather do we trust Jesus to provide for what he has called us to do? In other words, if Jesus has called us to do something, then we must trust in faith that he'll provide for our needs to be obedient. You may have an unwritten list in your head of things that you need to be obedient to, um, things that you, you, you need before you'll be, be obedient to what God's called you to be. So, I don't know, maybe your list is, God, I need to make just a little bit more money so then I can be more free to go do this and that and not be so tied down to work or Lord, I need a bigger house so that I can be more obedient to the hospitality you've called me to, to give. Or I need a better car, Jesus, because if you want me to go different places and those sort of... I mean, the list is always long. I need better health or I need to learn more and study more. There's a thousand things by which we'll say, God, I don't have enough to be obedient yet, but as soon as I get that stuff or those things, then I'll be obedient. And the truth is you never get there because your list keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. If he will... If, he, if you will be obedient to what he has called you to do, you'll discover that he will provide for your obedience. But that provision doesn't come until you are obedient. They didn't figure out that the net was capable until they obeyed Jesus, threw the net on the other side, and hauled in the many fish. The truth is that you do not need more of anything to obey. Obey first and trust God to provide for your obedience. And then lastly, Jesus provides for the kingdom. Jesus is teaching these men important principles concerning being fishers of men. The most significant is that God is the one who brings in the harvest. Now, for our part, we must be obedient to go, whether that means across the street to tell a neighbor about Jesus or around the world to tell someone about Jesus. We must be obedient to cast the net, that is to preach the gospel, to teach the truth of Jesus and to call the lost to Jesus. But never forget that it is Jesus who commands the fish to enter the net. It is Jesus who commands the fish to enter the net. It is Jesus who calls the lost to himself and gives them ears to hear and eyes to see. It is Jesus who makes dead men hear the living gospel of Jesus. There will be times when the harvest is light, and there will be times when the harvest is great. Be faithful to obey in all seasons. Be quick to obey his commands in all times. Trust God to draw in the harvest when he commands it. God provides for our physical needs. He provides for our obedience. And he provides for the effectiveness of the kingdom. When I was a kid, my, uh, my grandmother worked for Callaway Gardens in, in Harris County and in those days, the, the resort would put on a, 
uh, day camp for families who were vacationing there. And my grandmother worked for Callaway, and so because she worked for there, for Callaway, then all of us grandkids could go and spend one week at the, the day camp at Callaway Gardens. And so every summer, we'd go spend a week with my grandmother, and she'd pack us a lunch in the morning and send us off to camp, and uh, we had a great time. And one of the things that you did during camp was you got to go spend a day at the circus. So at Callaway Gardens, for, for many, many years now, FSU sends their, uh, their flying circus up and does performances at Callaway Gardens all summer long. And so one of the days for the day camp was we got to go spend a day with the circus performers. And on the last day, uh, the last moment that I was there with them, the, the big hurrah was we got to climb all the way up to the top of the tent and get on the trapeze and swing out over the over the uh, the big net. That's pretty fun. And then then they would they would give you instructions. And so as you follow their instructions, I wasn't the smartest cookie, so I wasn't figuring out what was happening. But the the final instruction was you got yourself where you were hanging upside down by your knees. You liking this, Doug? This is this is right up your alley. All right. So swinging by by your knees up in the top of the circus tent. And then the very last instruction was okay. As you're swinging, we want you to point your feet straight, straight out your legs and point your toes to the very top of the tent. Well, I may not have been the smartest cookie, but I understood that if I straightened out my legs, I was going to fall from the trapeze bar. Now, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I, I guess I assumed that, you know, we'd swing for a little while and we're just kids, right? And so they might have a way to, to hook the bar and bring us back over to the side and let us go back down the, the ladder. But, you know, as I'm swinging up there, I'm realizing there's no way to get back except to go straight down. And then you have to start working through your head. I'm not, I mean, I've, I had seen the circus performers fall into the big net and they bounce and they jump off. And uh, That's fine for somebody else to do. What about me? Do I really trust? And you start looking at that net, it's nasty looking. I mean, there's holes, you know, there's big holes. What if I fall through one of those holes? I'm a little kid. Those are big grown-ups that fall down on that thing. I'm just a little kid. So I'm swinging from that trapeze, and of course they're they're coaching me. Come on, come on, straighten your legs, point your toes, and I'm going. I understand the instructions. I just don't like the outcome. And I don't know how long it took me. In my mind, it seemed like it took hours, probably not. But what I had to get through as I was swinging on that trapeze was, do I really trust the net? Do, do I really have confidence that as I fall down from the trapeze will the net be able to catch me it did seem like a long time but eventually I did straighten my legs fell from the embrace fell, fell from the bar and fell into the embrace of the net and I'm here to tell you today by God's grace it held and I got off now listen to me to be obedient to the command to let go of the bar required that I had faith in the net. You understand that principle. Before you can be obedient to the commands of Jesus, you have to be, have faith that Jesus is able to accomplish his purpose and his will. And I think where some of us are is we're stuck on the trapeze. Academically, we got this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen others do it. Yep, yep. I'm pretty confident it's there. But you just can't straighten your knees. You just can't let go. Because you'd rather hold on to the trapeze than put your faith in the power of God 
to enable you to be about the purpose of God. Only when Christians obey do they experience the power of God and fulfill their purpose in the kingdom of God. Don't miss that connection. There are many of you who do not know the power of God. You've read about it, you've heard about it, but you've not known it because you've not obeyed the commands of God. Those two things go together. Obey. In, in your obedience is a testimony to your faith. And as you obey, you will discover that God is able. His power is greater than you can imagine. And it is sweet on the backside. Oh, it's fun getting off the net. It's a little scary falling into the net. But knowing the power of God only comes from obeying the commands of God. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.